Well, back in the days before Doppler weather radar or phone weather alerts, some of y'all can remember that, some can't, we went to church like we always did on Wednesday night, and I went into Wednesday night Bible study. I don't remember who our youth leader was. We had six youth leaders while I was in youth. I did do an extra year in youth, so, but still we had Mike, Steve, Greg, Kent, David, and some guy who was there like three weeks. <laughs> I have no idea what we were talking about that night, but strangely I remember the room we were in. Because as we were sitting there having our Wednesday night Bible study, Somebody turned on the lights in the prayer garden and all these floodlights came on and we looked out the window and we could see that it was snowing pretty heavily. And Daniel Vichabanda, who was an exchange student and had been in our church for maybe six months, he stood up and whether it was an, exc an exclamation or a question, he said, snow. And then he kept saying it like a mantra, like he was looking at a vision. He kept saying, snow, snow, snow. And he walked over and got his coat and went out the door and we all followed him. <laughs> Daniel had never seen snow growing up in Thailand. We taught him how to catch snow on his tongue. And Greg Ramey gently lobbed the first snowball at him and said, hey, Daniel, this is a snowball. <laughs> We had a snowball fight, so much fun. And then, you know, the, the quieting silence of snow blanketing the ground began to come around us, you know. If you've ever been out there when it's just covering the ground. And we watched those cars creeping up Clay's Mill Road, and we thought, no school tomorrow in Fayette County. And I got to tell you, that's the best Bible study I remember as, as a minister. <laughs> While preaching from Exodus, Barbara, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor said that Moses' great spiritual genius was that he turned aside from the everyday responsibilities. That's the line in Exodus. He turned aside and he went and he explored what turned out to be the burning bush and his life was changed forever and history justice all kinds of things were changed forever because he turned aside <laughs> that night our, our our youth leaders had the wisdom and the love for us enough to turn aside from what they had planned and let us bask in the wonder of God's creation and sharing something new and beautiful together. You know, the early Methodists called this watching over one another in love. And that whole Methodist movement wasn't really a Bible study movement. It was a movement to watch over one another in love. And I want to suggest to you that that is something very different than coming together just to read and study the scriptures together. Lent is 10 days away. Can you believe that? Can you believe that, Matt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've been wondering this week, 
What if we gave up doing the scriptures alone this Lent? I'm not suggesting we forego private devotion. But what if we agreed that we were better reading the scriptures together? I can tell you we'd be a whole lot closer to the early church practice than if we squirreled off with our Bible study apps alone. You know, in... uh, 1448, the printing press revolutionized not just books and newspaper, but how we read the Bible. It allowed the Bible to leave the church and the synagogue. You know, in antiquity, people didn't own books, except for the very super wealthy. People didn't own books. You know, when they wanted to have important documents like tax records and deeds and things like that, they often just made them out of clay and baked them in the sun. They etched it on there and then they stored those clay tablets. But you know, a scroll made out of leather, it was a work of art. First of the craftsmanship to to get the leather in such a state that you could etch in with ink. The words, they were incredibly expensive. So not even, not only did people not have Bibles, or collection of scrolls. Often churches didn't even have all the scrolls. Just think about that. Didn't mean they were dumb because they didn't have books. In fact, they memorized all kinds of things. And some scholars believe that early Christians probably memorized most of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we talked about how churches like Colossae, Philippi, and Rome, how they collected these letters from Paul, and they shared them, and in time, these became scriptures. But how did people actually experience scripture together? How did they do that? Well, the scripture says, say hello to the siblings, Paul writes at the closing of the letter to Colossians. Say hello to the siblings in Laodicea along with Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And after this letter has been read, make sure that the church in Laodicea reads it and that you read the one from Laodicea. People heard the word of God because they weren't reading it on the Bible together. (laughs) They were hearing it and sharing interpretation and application in a context of people watching over one another in love. Luke gives us this beautiful snapshot of how all this happens in Luke 4, where Jesus begins his ministry. It says, Jesus taught in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. And one Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue as he normally did, and he stood up to read, which was to honor the word. And the synagogue assistant gave Jesus the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, picked it out of the others. Jesus unrolled the scroll, probably on the table, and then using the little stylus or pointer, found the place out of Isaiah where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. God has sent me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor. Jesus probably read more out of Isaiah than that because it kind of jumps around a little. But you know, they were preserving precious scroll space. And they knew that the community would, would know that, right? Because they were gathered. 
Together, Jesus rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and sat down, which was the posture of teaching. And every eye in the synagogue was fixed on Jesus. And Jesus began to explain to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And then Jesus sat down. Now that could be the shortest sermon ever, 10 words. But more likely it's the beginning of an idea that the community expanded upon and shared. What does it mean to be sent by the Spirit to do these works of justice? And Luke continues, everyone was raving about Jesus, and they were impressed by the gracious words from his lips. Now the story changes a bit after that, as the crowd's not quite as receptive. But in this passage, there's a lot about how people read the Bible, and how the early writers, the early writers, the early writers wrote the Bible. They come together, not just to read scripture, but to to pray together, to worship together, to hear the word of God, and then to hear people explain it, and then to talk about it together. They didn't do scripture alone. Now just imagine this. This is hard to imagine. I read that this week. That up until like the 1750s, it was considered rude by a lot of people to not read out loud. Just imagine that. To not read out loud. So if you were on a steamship, which was as fast away as you could get around in like 1810, and you had the sports page, the person next to you kind of expected you to read it so you wouldn't be hoarding the knowledge. See, we've had a a, a huge change in how we understand and intake information, so much so that it's probably changed our interior lives, hasn't it? They did a study about 15 years ago 15 years ago, and it's more pronounced now than this. And, and the average person reads about 34 gigabytes a day or consumes that much data every day through their phone. Now, what does that even mean? It means that by Thursday, most of us have absorbed war and peace. Think about that. War and peace. But you know what? We don't, like those early Christians, always focus in on what really matters, do we? Because we have so much coming down the pipe, don't we? And so we say, I say this all the time, I'm not going to remember that. That, That's like my pledge, you know. (laughs) I'm not going to remember that. Let me put that in my phone, right? Well, there's this huge change in the way that we do Scripture. We're awash in data. And and that's the world we live in. But sometimes we don't treasure what really matters in our heart. And I think that this stream of data, you know, that is driven by market forces to target us, right? It pushes us a little further apart, doesn't it? It divides us a little bit. It tribalizes us a little bit. By John's Wesley time, by John Wesley's time, printing technology advanced enough that uh, people could take a Bible home. They could have a Bible in their home. They could have tracts. They could have books. And Wesley and and the early Methodists sometimes were mocked as Bible moths. They they spent so much time in the Word of God that uh, people said they're like a bunch of moths, just eating the Word. You know, they're just in there. And if you ever read any Wesley, it's great to read Wesley. 
Because nobody quotes scripture more than John Wesley. And sometimes he tells you he's doing that, and sometimes he's just making some reference, and you go, that sentence doesn't quite work. And you go, oh my goodness, that's a Bible thing he's working in there. Anyway, Wesley taught at Oxford. Taught Greek and Hebrew. But you know what? Wesley preferred the term searching the scriptures over Bible study. Searching the scriptures over studying the Bible. Well, you can study the Bible for all kinds of ends, can't you? Prove your point. <laughs> I think lots of people do that. Let's go to the Bible and find what I already believe. Apps are great for that. But Wesley believed we search the scriptures to find the will of God. And that may sound like a lot. But you know, the will of God is sometimes as simple as, is this lesson more important than that snow falling outside? And the will of God might be, what do I do to keep the peace in my home when these kids are home for a week and I've got work to do online? Or more profound, like how do I loosen the oppressive yokes that I see in the world around me? You know, we can cut and paste Bible platitudes from our smartphones and our concordances. But without faith, hope, and love, without a community, it's hard to land in faith, hope, and love. We need one another. To really understand the scriptures, we need each other. We need one another's presence. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Boy, you can read a lot about love, right? You can read about love. You can read about Christian love, the principles of love. But, you know, to experience love in a community, that's something profoundly different, isn't it? It's something profoundly different. We best understand the will of God. Maybe perhaps we only understand the will of God when we're watching over one another in love. And Paul, in this beautiful passage, Paul understands that something is greater going on than even the scripture that, that he's writing. He says, as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. That's humble on Paul's part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. We see in one of these ancient old mirrors, they didn't work very good. But one day we will see face to face. Now I know partially. Now I know partially. But then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known by God. Now faith, hope, and love remain these things. And the greatest of these is love. I know I no longer belong to the denomination I grew up in. And I've had to unlearn a few things that I learned in that church I grew up in. You know, and, and that's the reality about every relationship, right? <laughs> about every church. Every interaction we have, we have to forgive and, and offer grace, don't we? And God's always doing new things in us. The truth matters. The truth will set us free. But there's a certain um, humility 
an acknowledgement of our partial knowledge that's liberating as well. I see things differently than I did uh, as a kid. I see God's love as deeper, wider, more inclusive, more embracing, more irrepressible. I, I see love so much more than I ever imagined as a child. But you know, I'm so deeply grateful that my childhood church watched over me in love, that they taught the lessons of love to me. I don't remember anything about the intended lesson that night. I don't. And I went home with soaking wet tennis shoes from the snow. But I also went home knowing I was beloved. I was loved by God. And that might matter more than anything we can do or know. And so, friends, I want to invite you to think about during this Lent, connecting to a community where you are opening the scriptures. And, and maybe God is going to turn you uh, to the side into some new great adventure. I don't know. But to be open to the scriptures and to be open to be part of a community where you are watching over one another in love so that we can all understand better what God's will is in our life and what God is calling us to. Amen.